Hey, welcome to Mercy Road Church. And can we say a big welcome to those who are attending online? Let's give them a hand this morning. We are a church that believes no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church is meant to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And my name is Ken. I'm one of the pastors here. I was the operations pastor overseeing finance and facilities. And just recently we announced and I accepted a position to be the Northeast location pastor. So can you give me a hand? Make me feel welcome. Thank you. Uh, and so today, actually, Pastor Josh Hoosman is over there uh, teaching at our preview service as we're launching that location through the summer. And uh, I'm so pumped to be here with you guys in person and with those of you watching online here at Carmel. We are in a series right now called Fight Club in which we are fighting for our, our family and, and our, our family health, our, our financial health, our mental health our physical health. So we're talking about all of these areas and we're looking at Matthew chapter seven is the key passage. Verse 24 says this, therefore everyone, this is Jesus speaking, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so we are wanting to build our lives on the rock, the solid rock of Jesus's words of what God word has to say to us. And so today what we're gonna talk about is financial health. As my last act as operations pastor here at Carmel, Pastor Josh is like, all right, can you go give the money talk? So I'm going to talk about money today. We're going to talk about cash, money, and what God's word has to say about finances. And interestingly, God's word has a lot to say about money. In fact, Jesus talked about money and possessions more than he talked about prayer, more than he talked about faith. And it's not because Jesus was fundraising. It's not because Jesus was trying to raise money for his ministry and he's like, give money to me. Jesus actually never took an offering for his ministry. So Jesus wasn't looking just to fundraise money, but Jesus talked about money and possessions over and over again. And I believe it's because money, Jesus knows, is what most people value most. Now we might not wanna admit that and be like, no, not me. But the reality is money and the stuff that it can buy and the things that we can purchase to make us feel comfortable, to make us feel valuable is often what we most value in our lives. And so Jesus knows that this is a heart issue and Jesus doesn't want you and me to be mastered by money. And so Jesus talks about it often. And one key passage is in Matthew, 20, Matthew 6, verse 24. It says this, no one can serve two masters. Jesus doesn't want you to serve another master. So he says, either you will hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I find it fascinating that, that he, he has this opposition between God and money when you could have done a lot of other things, right? Jesus could have said sexual sin or popularity or uh, there's a, a lot of other things that he could have listed out. But what Jesus knows is that Money is gonna be a thing that is gonna to try to enslave you and me. Money and the possessions that it can buy often become the most valuable thing in our lives and competitor for God, for our hearts. And Jesus is concerned with your heart. So as we talk about money today, as we talk about financial health, I don't want you just to think about the practical nuts and bolts of finances, but I also wanna encourage you to recognize that this is a heart issue. This is a spiritual issue issue. And so we're going to dive into what God has to say about finances. I want to pray for us because this is a spiritual issue. So would you pray with me as we dive in? 
Heavenly Father, God, I pray, God, I pray your spirit in this room. I pray for those watching online, God, that your spirit would be stirring up in our hearts, God, to hear from your word and to put into practice the words of Jesus. So God, would you speak to us, God, no matter where we are right now with our finances, whether we are uh, in fifth grade and it's not a big part of our our thought process in life right now, God, or maybe we're uh, looking at retirement and trying to figure that out, or God, we're, we're trying to put food on the table in the season, God. Wherever we are in that spectrum, Lord, I pray, God, right now, Lord, you would speak to us, to our hearts, God, about the spiritual issues going on in our hearts regarding finances. So God, we wanna be spiritually healthy. We wanna be financially healthy. So God, would you speak to us in this moment? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we talk about money, it's a sensitive issue because all of us have made mistakes, right? All of us have made mistakes with our money. All of us have done dumb things along the way. We've made poor decisions. We've made poor investments. We've purchased things that we later regretted. With a show of hands, raise your hands if you've done something stupid with money. Just raise your hands, being honest. All right. And those of you that didn't raise your hands, uh, you probably have a problem with lying, right? Okay, because all of us have made mistakes. If you've made mistakes with money, do you know what that makes you? Over 12 years old, okay? Because all of us have had money issues. And so I wanna tell you a personal money problem. Uh, a dumb thing I did with finances. So as a pastor, you know, you don't get into ministry to be a pastor thinking like, I'm gonna get rich. And so uh, along the way, uh, I decided I'm gonna get a side hustle, you know, a a, a side hustle, start a side business to make some extra income. And my goal was to make $25,000 a year so that my wife could have the option of being a stay-at-home mom if she wanted to do that. And so that was the goal, I was trying to set that up years ago. And so we're brainstorming different business opportunities and a business opportunity presented itself. And I thought, this is foolproof. We're gonna make 25 grand a year doing this. You guys wanna know what the business was? Snake breeding. (laughs) Exactly what none of you were expecting, right? Snake breeding, you're like, what kind of church is this? A snake handling kind of pastor church? Uh, Okay, so there's no snakes here. You don't need to worry about that. But we, we were gonna start breeding snakes. You see, I have a friend, I, I know a guy. I got a guy and he sells literally snakes that are worth thousands of dollars. These exotic uh, reticulated pythons. They're called super dwarf reticulated pythons and he sells them all over the world. And so he's a friend of mine and I was like, how difficult can snake breeding actually be? And so I bought two females and a male and spent thousands of dollars on these exotic snakes and then we started raising them. And so I think I have a picture. This is when they were babies. They got a lot bigger, but that's my wife and I. And then we had a roommate, a young adult living with us. And so those are the three snakes that we're holding. This was actually our Christmas card one year. We sent that out. And then like, no one wanted our Christmas cards anymore. We were like, we don't know why, it's weird. Uh, and so, uh, so we started, my last name's Primo. And so we started Primo Pythons, this little business, right? And I thought, how difficult can snake breeding actually be? You know, you put two snakes in a cage together, you dim the lights, you put on some romantic music, light some candles, and you got snake babies making the money, right? Well, it's not that simple. And we quickly discovered that it was difficult and our snakes never got pregnant. And then we got pregnant and had kids and the snakes got bigger and we thought these could eat our kids. And so, needless to say, we no longer have a side hustle. We no longer have this business. We never made any money off of it. And my wife, we now have four kids and she's still working and not staying at home. So we've all made mistakes with money. We've all done stupid things with our finances and we have to learn from those and grow from those and make better decisions moving forward. So some of us, we've gotten ourselves into financial trouble because of dumb decisions we've made along the way. 
Others, you found yourself in financial trouble and it's not your fault. Your business wasn't doing well and and made some cutbacks and you got cut and it wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. Others, maybe you were in a business deal with someone and they stole from you. Maybe it was a medical issue and the medical bills began to to pile up. Maybe it's because of COVID-19. I've heard of a, a lot of people, known people that have lost their jobs or their hours have been reduced because of this pandemic. And so you find yourself in this financial difficulty and it wasn't your fault. It wasn't your dumb decisions. And so I just want to be sensitive. If that's you this morning, I want to be sensitive to, to what you're going through. And I want to encourage you to pray and invite God into that area of your life. Now you might be like, Pastor Ken, doesn't seem very practical. Like you're asking me to pray about the fact that I lost my job. But here's the reality. If you believe, which I do believe, that God is the creator of the heavens and the universe, that God is, as you become a believer, he invites you into the family of God, you become a child of God, that God is your father and you are his child and he is madly in love with you, that he wants to take care of you. And so pray and invite him in and say, God, would you get me that job? God, would you provide for us financially? God, I don't know how we're gonna make it through this, but God, we trust you. And to, the most practical thing you can do is to bring it before God and invite him in. And I also wanna encourage you, we as a church, we wanna be there for you. And so if, if there's ways that we can come alongside you, reach out to us and we'll, we'll do what we can to help you through this season. But I also wanna encourage you to listen to what the Bible has to say about finances. Because what I've found is that the more that you and I, that we put into practice the words of Jesus and we live out these biblical principles of financial health, the more that we walk in that and, and, and walk on the solid rock of what Jesus lays out for us, then when the storms of life come, we are better able to stand. And so I wanna encourage you to take something away from what God is gonna teach you this morning. And I gotta give a shout out to my man, Dave Ramsey. So Dave Ramsey is a financial coach and author and, and uh, I got to meet him one time right there. And he made a big impact on, on my life and on, on, for my wife and I. When we were 24, we went through Financial Peace University. It's a nine week course that's taught online of Dave Ramsey and he's teaching biblical principles of finance. And that changed everything for my wife and I. And I just wanna encourage you, if you've never been through that class, to go online to our website, mercyroad.cc front slash FPU for Financial Peace University. Uh, register there and our outpost leader who leads that outpost, the Financial Peace Outpost, will follow up with you and let you know when the next class is or you can stop by the Connect Center after the service and sign up. But I wanna encourage you, that might be the most important thing that you do in this next year is to take that class. It could change everything. And so I wanna give a shout out to Dave Ramsey and the principles that he's taught and some of that is going into this teaching today. And so I wanna share with you three biblical principles on living a healthy financial life. Three things that we see in the Bible that teaches you and I to put into practice the words of what scripture says on how we can live financially healthy. You guys ready to learn? Point number one, if you're taking notes, is this, to act your wage. You need to act your wage. You need to learn to live off less than you make. You need to learn to not consume everything that you get. Proverbs 21, 20 says it this way, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, meaning that they save it, but fools gulp theirs down. The fool consumes everything that they get. So if we wanna walk in wisdom, we gotta learn to live off less than we make. We gotta learn to act our wage and quit chasing after things that we can't afford. 
You see, sometimes our financial problems, it's not an income issue. It's a lifestyle issue. It's not an issue of we don't make enough money. Sometimes for us, it's an issue of we're spending too much money chasing after that bougie lifestyle that we see on TV or that you see with your neighbor or someone else. And we get so caught up in looking at what everyone else has. And I wonder for myself and I wonder for you, what would I have if I didn't know what all of you had? What would I purchase if I didn't know what you were purchasing and what other people were purchasing? What would my life look like? What would I spend my money on if I wasn't so consumed looking at what everyone else had and chasing after that? You see, Dave Ramsey says it this way, I love this. He says, you end up buying stuff you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't really like. Isn't that true? Like you buy that fancy car and you're driving and you get to the red light and you're parked there with your $600 a month payment on it and someone up pulls up next to you and you're like, hey, I hope they're impressed with my car, right? And you're hoping that some random stranger who you might not ever meet is impressed with the vehicle that you're driving. And the reality is you might actually meet the person and realize you don't even like that person, but you're trying to impress them with your $600 a month debt. Now, I'm not picking on you. I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. I've done, I've done stupid with a capital S. Uh, so when I was a freshman in college, I started dating my now wife, Carolyn. Started dating freshman year. Sophomore year, she went overseas to Germany to study abroad. We broke up. We didn't make it through that year. But I decided while she was gone... I was going to upgrade my car and I was going to reel her in with a fancy car. And so I had been driving a Buick Regal at the time, which if you're not familiar with that car looks like, just think of your grandparents' car. Okay, so I had a Buick Regal and I sold that and then I purchased with payments a sports car with the chrome rims and I got the subwoofer and the stereo and the tinted windows and the whole deal. And so I got this fancy car. And so when Carolyn came back from Germany, we went on a date. I'm like, I'm going to reel this girl back in, this fancy car. And so we, we hop in the car. I'm like, what do you think about my new ride? She's like, it's okay. I was like, what, what do you mean it's okay? And she was like, well, I kind of like the Buick Regal better. I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, well, you know, in, in your old car, it had like the bench seat in the front. You guys know what I'm talking about? Had the bench seat in the front. And I was like, yeah, that's why it's not cool. Like it made me think of my grandparents, like grandpa's driving, I'm sitting in the middle, grandma's in the back. You know, like it made me think of that. And she's like, well, I kind of like that I could sit next to you and kind of cuddle while you're driving. And I thought in that moment, two things. One, I'm going to marry this girl and I'm going to be wealthy because she doesn't care what I drive. And number two, I am never buying a sports car. I'm never going into debt for a car again. And the reality is that I've, I've, I've lived that out. I've, from that point forward, I said, I am only buying a car cash. Now, what that has meant is I have driven some pretty crappy cars along the way. I've driven some real beaters. I've had cars where my car is blue, but my door is white because it was a spare part we had to put on that thing. I've driven cars where my, my driver's side window will not roll down. You guys ever been there before? Now you might be thinking, what's the big deal with that? Well, if your driver's side window can't roll down and you go to a drive-through, you know, you're at a fast food establishment and you get to the window and you're, you're like, I got to order now. Like, how is this going to work? So here's what I would do. Here's a little pointer. I would put my seat back. Okay, I'd roll back. I'd roll down the back window. 
And I would, I, I want a double double with grilled onions and fries, you know, in and out Burger in California. Uh, and so I'd order my food. I would pay through that back window and get my food through the back. It was embarrassing. Okay. It was embarrassing, but I had no debt. I had no car payment and it felt so good. And I decided in that moment that I'm going to stop caring about what everyone else thinks about me. And I'm going to start caring about what God says about me and what he says about finances. And it began to change my life. You see, in order to begin to live in this financial health, you and I, we need to start being content with what we have. We need to stop spending money that we don't have on things that we don't really need to try to impress other people. And if you and I can understand contentment, I believe that this is a key concept that will bring financial health in your life is to begin to live in contentment. And the apostle Paul, he talks about this principle He says in Philippians chapter four, verse 11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, verse 13, I can do all this through him, Jesus, who gives me strength. Paul tells us that the secret of contentment is to find your value and your strength in Jesus and not in your stuff. And as you can begin to live in that, as you can become content and okay with the clothes that you have, with the car that you drive, with the house that you're in, as you quit comparing yourself to everyone else and you can just kind of calm down and become content with what God has given you right now, you can begin to get out of debt and to begin to save and to begin to experience the the financial freedom that God wants for you. So number one, act your wage. Live on less than you make and that starts with a heart of contentment. Principle number two of financial health is this, make a plan. Make a plan. You've got to get on a budget. You've got to make a plan. You've got to be intentional about this. Jesus said in Luke 14, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish Jesus here, he's specifically talking about the cost of discipleship, to count the cost before you begin following him. But I believe that the same principle applies to your finances. He's saying, you wouldn't start building a tower that you haven't yet budgeted for and made the plan for, and then you get halfway up and everyone's gonna ridicule you because you didn't finish the plan. You wouldn't build a house without a blueprint. Then why are you building your financial future without a plan? without a blueprint. If you are a student here, if you're a high schooler or younger, you can just zone out for this moment. You might've been zoning out already, but I wanna talk to the adults for a second. If you're an adult, I wanna ask you to act like an adult with your finances. To make a plan, to be intentional, to make a budget, on paper, on purpose. If you're married, you do this with your spouse. You talk about it. You come to agreement. This is where our money is going to go. This is a stewardship issue. And if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, we should be the best at stewarding God's resources that he's given us. 
But we've got to make a plan. We've got to be intentional about it. And one of the tools you can use, this is just a practical tool, is mint.com, M-I-N-T.com. That's what we use. It's a budgeting tool. It's a financial tool. It's completely free. I don't get any money if you go there. So it's not like I'm selling you anything. It's a free tool, but you can use that as a resource. Make a budget, make a plan and start to work that. Start to live that out. You see, if you're living like most people, most people don't make a plan. And this is the way that they end up living their lives. They end up being mastered by money. Let's put up the next slide. This is what it looks like when you're mastered by money. You live, you save, and then you maybe give. I'm just gonna live my life and spend my money on me. And then maybe if at work, there's, a, there's like a, a plan there for your retirement, you start to put a little bit of money away. And then if there's maybe anything left over at the end of all that, maybe I'll give, maybe I might get inspired by something and give every once in a while, or maybe there's like a tsunami or a flood or some big pandemic and, and you might get inspired to help someone in the midst of that. But, but I'm gonna live and spend everything on me, maybe save a little bit. And then if there's anything left over, give. Me first, me second, other people and what God is doing in the world through the church comes third. And that is the way that many of us live our lives. And if we are living our financial lives that way, we are mastered by money. We have become a slave to money and possessions. And we are functionally living as if God does not exist and that we are the most important people on the planet. But Jesus, as he begins to teach us to handle finances God's way, he's gonna tell us to flip that thing upside down. It looks like this. This is what it looks like when you're mastering your money instead of being mastered by it. First you give, then you save, and then you live off the rest. You give, you save, and then you live off the rest. You give to others first. You save for the future second. And then you live off and spend on your needs and your desires, third. And I'm telling you, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a believer, and you're here and you're watching this online or you're here in this room, you could be an atheist. If you put that into practice and you first give and you second save, and then you live off of the rest, I am telling you, it will positively impact your life and the life of others. And you will begin to experience a freedom financially that you've never known before. So what I want you to hear in this is that I'm not trying to get your money. I'm not asking for you to give your money to Mercy Road Church. If you wanna do that, that's fine, but that's not what I'm after. What I'm concerned about is what Jesus brought up is what is going to master you? What is gonna be Lord of your life? Who are you gonna serve with your life? And money is going to compete for your heart and for mine. And so one of the ways that I'm living this out in my own household is I'm trying to teach my kids these principles. And so we teach our kids the 10-10-80 rule. That they're going to give 10%, save 10%, and then live off of 80%. That's kind of a general starting place that we can start with. And so we have these three jars. They look like this in our kids' rooms. And my kids are seven, five, three, and one. And so my one-year-old's not doing this yet, but the three-year-old, five-year-old, and seven-year-old, they each have their own three jars. And anytime grandma gives money at Christmas time or birthdays, and here's, here's some money, kids, that they could take that money. And what we do is we divide it up. So 10% goes in the give jar, 10% goes in the save jar, and then 80% goes in the spend jar. And so for that first 10%, the, the, the amount goes up and down because we'll, we'll take money from it and we'll bring it, the kids will give it to the church. 
The next 10%, it builds up over time. And we take that every once in a while and we've started savings accounts for them. And they take it to the bank and put it in the savings. And then the rest of it, we're like, that's what you live off of. That's what you get to spend. You want to buy bubble gum? You can buy bubble gum. You want to buy Legos? You can buy Legos. Uh, my three-year-old daughter, she is all girl. She is so into shoes. Like, I don't know where she got it from. She's three. And she literally, at age two, started uh, stealing people's shoes. Like, we go to your house, and she would try to leave with your shoes on. She just is so into shoes. And so now it's like, you have money. You can spend from that jar, okay? You can buy yourself fancy little shoes. And so we're teaching them these principles to give, to save, and to live and spend off the rent. Now, my question is, why would the preacher man, why would the pastor guy teach his kids to give first? Is it because I want them to give their money to Mercy Road Church to help me to go in their daddy's pocket? No. Like if I wanted their money, I could just go in their room while they're sleeping in the middle of the night. I could grab the jar, steal all the money, leave. In the morning, they'd be like, Dad, what happened to the gift jar? I'd be like, I don't know. Maybe the tooth fairy stole it. Like who knows what happened? I was sleeping. You know, I could just take their money. I don't need their money. Is it because Mercy Road Church needs my kids' money? It's like, hey, kids, we need to keep the lights on at church, so we needed your $2.43, and that's, no, it's not, that's not why. We're doing this with my kids because I want to teach them. I want from a young age for them to understand, to put God first and put others first before themselves. I want them to not be mastered by money, and I know, I know that all of us, all of us are tempted to be mastered by money. Money's gonna compete for the hearts of my kids and I don't want them to be slaves to finances. And so we've created this plan for them. Give first, save second, and live off everything else third. So number one, point number one is act your wage. Live off less than you make. Live with contentment. Point number two, make a plan, make a budget on paper, on purpose, and start to work that plan. And point number three is this, if you're taking notes. Give wastefully. Give wastefully. Now that might sound kind of strange, but I believe that those two words could completely transform the way that you and I live our lives. Now it sounds like bad financial advice, doesn't it? Give wastefully. What are you talking about, Pastor Ken? Sounds like bad financial advice. But here's what I mean by this. I don't mean go to Vegas and throw a bunch of money on blackjack table. What I don't mean is invest poorly and, and buy a bunch of Bitcoin or something else and, and hope that you make money that way. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm, what I'm talking about is generosity. Let's take a look at one more passage together. You guys ready to look at one more Bible story? Mark chapter 14, you can follow along on the screen. It says this, that, that, well, first of all, Jesus, he's having a meal with some disciples and some followers. And, and at this meal, it's, it's a few days before he's about to be crucified and hung on a cross. And we see in verse four, it says this, while he was at Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus's head. Some of those who were present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than one year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. They're upset about the wasted resources. You see this woman, she bought this perfume, a vial of perfume. And this is not just like ordinary perfume. This is not like going on, on amazon.com and get 
Chanel number five or something. This is like bougie perfume. She spent a year's wages on this one vial of perfume. And then she came in as Jesus having this meal and she dumped it all over him as this act of worship. And the people there start grumbling. And they're saying, why such a waste? Why did you waste so much on Jesus? That money could have been better spent elsewhere. And if you know the story, Jesus rebukes those men. And he says, no, what she's done is good. She's preparing me for my burial. And then, and then Jesus says something here that he doesn't say anywhere else in scripture. And I want to camp out on this for one moment. This is the only time Jesus talks about this. In verse 9, it says this, Truly I tell you, Jesus says, wherever the gospel, the good news of Jesus, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What Jesus says is from this point forward, every time the gospel is preached, the story of this woman with this, this vial of perfume is going to be told. Every time from this moment forward, every time the gospel is preached, you're going to hear the accusation of wasteful living in the face of radical generosity. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I share the gospel, I don't share that story. Like, it's not like every time I share the gospel, and then there was this lady with this vial of perfume. So Jesus, what are you talking about here? What does Jesus mean? And here's what I believe Jesus is saying, that every time the true gospel is preached, every time the true gospel is being lived out in radical generosity, that the watching world is going to look at the church and is going to say, why are you wasting so much on Jesus? Why are you wasting so much of your lives, so much of your time, so much of your finances on Jesus? Why such a waste? That radical generosity would be mistaken for wasteful living. And as Christians, we should be the most radically ridiculous, generous people on the face of planet Earth. And I got to tell you, that's what attracted me to Mercer Road Church. My wife and I, we moved from California out here to Carmel, Indiana to be a part of Mercy Road. And, and the reason was because we were so uh, in awe of how you guys are living on mission, living to make an impact in the world, and how radically generous this church is in giving 50% of its finances outside the walls of the church which means that this church says we are going to give first 50% outside the walls. We're going to save a little bit and then we're going to live off the rest. That is radical generosity. And in the midst of that, this church is planting four new Mercy Road Church locations. We've made a goal of raising $3 million financially to launch those those locations. And we've started the Northwest location. We've started a downtown location. I've recently become the Northeast location pastor. We're planting that. Uh, in fact, Pastor Josh is over there this morning helping uh, lead this uh, today and getting them excited about what God's doing. And so this movement's happening and this generosity is happening. And we have a goal of over three years to raise $3 million. And we're a year and a half in. And I want to celebrate this morning as we have raised $2 million of your radical generosity towards God's mission. But I don't want that just to be for us as a church corporately. I want you to think about for you. 
What if we all lived that way? What if we lived like that woman? That we were so moved by the love of God that we were willing to, to spend everything we have and lay it down at the feet of Jesus as an act of worship. What if you and I were such generous givers that other people, the watching world, would criticize us and say, why are you wasting so much on Jesus? Why are you wasting so much on him? And that you and I would respond that Jesus wasted everything on us, that God sent his one and only son and did not hold him back, but let him be crucified on a cross in our place, that he did that for our sin so that we can be reconciled back to God, that we could have a relationship with God and begin to live our lives with him, that he did not hold anything back, but paid the price. He paid everything for us. And so our lives are now a response to that generosity and that you and I would live such radical lives of generosity that the watching world would accuse us of wasting everything for Jesus. But you and I, you and I would go, I love Jesus so much and I will gladly waste everything on him. Knowing that the reality is that nothing that's spent in love for Jesus is ever truly wasted. That that only way for us to really make an eternal impact is to spend our lives on the one true master, on the King of Kings who paid it all for us. And so I wanna encourage you this morning to live out these three basic principles. To act your wage, live on less than you make. And that starts with contentment, that starts with our hearts. To make a plan, make a budget on paper, on purpose, and begin to give and to save and live off the rest. And then to live lives that are radically generous, that we would give wastefully living our lives as an act of worship to Jesus. I wanna pray for that. And as you live those three things out, let me tell you, it will change your life. But not only that, it's not only gonna change your life, it could change your world. I'm telling you, young people, this could change your future. Married people, this could change your marriage. This could change your family, your kids, your grandkids. This could change your community, your church. This could literally change the world if we live out these principles. And that's what I wanna pray for this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that Lord, as we, as a body of Christ here, Lord, gathered in your name, Lord, I pray, God, that we would live lives that are radically generous. God, that we would recognize all that you've done for us, Lord, that you laid down your life for us. You wasted everything for us, God. And in turn, Lord, I pray that we would live lives of radical generosity in response. So Lord, help teach us to steward the finances, the resources you've given us well, God. And I just wanna take a moment to pray for any of you who are hurting financially right now. In this season, you're like, I don't know how to move forward. I don't know how to get out of the situation that I'm in. And if that's you, I wanna encourage you to surrender right now, to make Jesus the, the Lord of your life to surrender your finances and your life and everything that you are before him. And recognize that Jesus is inviting you in, that you have a heavenly father who is madly in love with you, who paid it all for you. And he is inviting you into his arms and he wants to take care of you. He knows what you need and he wants to love on you and take care of your needs and to trust him, trust him to provide for you. And so if that's you this morning, I want to pray with you.
Jesus, I, I wanna surrender my life, Lord. I want you to be the master of my life and not my finances. And so God, would you help me in the midst of my mess? I surrender my life. I surrender my future. I surrender my finances. And God, I trust you, God. Would you help me to move forward? God, would you take control of my life? Would you lead me from this point forward as I trust you to be the Lord and Savior of my life? And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen.